Hi, this is Emily Detweiler, CEO of KCBS, and you are listening to Jeff and Len on Baseball and Barbecue, one of my favorite podcasts. number 115 of a very special holiday Christmas Day episode of baseball and BBQ I am here with the person who can guide your sleigh none other than Santa Claus Jeff Cohen <laughs> and here's my elf Leonard Averman Leonard how you doing have we have a gift for our listeners we do have a gift and and that's why I said on the other episode Jeff as long as I'm not the Grinch, I'm okay. Although I think the Grinch is misunderstood. I, I do. You know, he, he, but we can go into that. That's, that's a topic for another podcast. But it, this, yes, you're right. We, this is a special gift for our listeners. We've got two great guests on this episode. Baseball and barbecue. If you like them, you're going to love it because we've got the author Joe Poznanski, The Baseball 100. Jeff? This book is a, an amazing book. It's a heavy book, more than 800 pages, and he chronicalizes his top 100 players in baseball ever. Not just the major leagues. He goes into the Japan leagues. He goes into the Negro leagues. The best 100 players ever. Most of them you'll agree with, and some of them you'll take exception to. But doesn't matter because it's a good read. Yes. And before we start to even talk about it at all, even more, because I wanted to say something. We also have for our barbecue guest, none other than Chris Schaefer of Heavy Smoke Barbecue. And Jeff, tell us a little more about Chris. Chris's team called Heavy Smoke BBQ was the 2021 KCBS Invitation Open World Champion. I mean, that says it all. Not too shabby. And, and we had so much fun with, I'm laughing now because I'm thinking about it. We had so much fun with Chris. We have to, at some point, we got to release the video of that one because that's just, that one has to be seen, I think, to really be appreciated. But you'll, you guys will know what we're talking about. But 
let's just talk right now about the baseball 100, because we're going to start with that, of course. He has 100 players on. You're going to hear in the interview, 100 players on, 100 players in the book. And, and as I, I guarantee said, we do not talk about all of them. That's for sure. No, <laughs> I think we I think we did 99. No, the the book is 830 pages. It, you're right. It is heavy. What What's great about it is, first of all, he's not ranking them exactly. So right. but you guys got to read it. You got to see what we're talking and, about. Yeah. And that's why it's, it's important to read the introduction, because yeah. that tells you. And I will just let you in a secret. Look, my favorite player of all time is Tom Seaver. He wore number 41. Number 41 is associated with Tom Seaver, which is why he's ranked 41 in the book. But in most people's eyes, he should be ranked much higher than that. Much higher. Yeah. Much higher. And uh, I'm just going to say, Jeff, you are my favorite co-host that ever lived. Oh, well, that's uh, certainly a, a distinction. That except, Thank you very much. And, and you guys will understand when you listen to the interview what I'm talking about. So there's so much in that. If we had the ability, we'd be we'd still be talking to Joe Poznanski. Exactly. I mean, right. So it was great. So, Jeff, why don't we just jump right into it? Here's Joe Poznanski. It's not every day you get an interview with the giant of their industry, but today we do. Joe Poznanski is number one New York Times bestselling author of six books, including The Soul of Baseball, A Road Trip Through Buck O'Neill's America. The Machine, story of the 1975 Cincinnati Reds, and non-baseball books such as Paterno and A Secret of Golf. He has written for The Athletic, Sports Illustrated, NBC Sports, The Kansas City Star, has been named National Sports Writer of the Year at five different organizations, and is the winner of two Emmy Awards, and is a member of the Society of American Baseball Research, commonly known as Sabre. He currently writes at JoePoznanski.com, and he's with us tonight to talk about his latest book, The Baseball 100. Welcome to Baseball and BBQ. Joe Poznanski. Thank Welcome, you. Joe. Great to be here. Joe, what a book. I Thank mean, you. it is uh, fantastic. But I have to warn people who are going to get, they have to read the introduction. They have right. to read the, the stats, the guide to the, the stats, because that was very helpful. Because the way it's written, it looks like you're ranking everybody. And when you get into the introduction, you find out it's really, I mean, yes, it's your ranking, but there's certain reasons why people have ranked some, some other some places. So, Please tell us why and how you got started with the book. Yes. Wow. I've been working on this book, you know, for probably a decade uh, or more, you know, but it's really been a lifelong pursuit, right? It's everything, my whole life of being a baseball fan and and uh, thinking about these players and thinking about what greatness is and and trying to to capture a little bit of what I love about this game. So, it is a ranking. It is the 100 greatest players ever. It's a ranking, which uh, which obviously leads many, many, many people to uh, yell at me, which is which is great. But for me, it's something more. And, and you know, and 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 I've been. I do talk about that in the introduction. I do talk about that. Uh, I've done a lot of interviews, which has been wonderful. And I've always tried to say look, that for me, this book is it's my love letter to baseball. It it is for me the why I love the game told through the stories of these, of the hundred greatest players ever in, in, in my list. So, you know, so you get a nice combination of things. So I have, I've had so many people come up to me and, and say how much they love the book, how it's, it's uh, made them fall in love with baseball again, how it reconnected them with their, with their father, with their mother, with their grandmother. I mean, it's, 
all of that has been amazing and incredible. And then there are plenty of other people who come up to me and go, how could you possibly put Barry Bonds number three or, or Ken Griffey Jr. 49 and you're, you're an idiot. And, and that's fun too. So it's, it's been an amazing, amazing run. Joe, when we speak to authors, a lot of times I get the, the fan in me comes out. I will gush, but for you, this is what I'm going to do. And this is audio, but people will have to Jeff describe what I'm doing. <laughs> Standing ovation. Get, <laughs> yes. Bravo, Encore. This is one of the best books, baseball books I have ever read. And we wow. have been reading. We, we've been doing this now for almost four years. I mean, Joe, baseball and barbecue. This is a unique podcast. Okay. Yeah. With the two of those, I like to say we're the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup of podcasts <laughs> we, they, two things go great together the other thing i always say is the authors do the heavy lifting and all we have to do is the reading but in this case we do the heavy lifting too because this book <laughs> is 830 pages that's right and i loved and i can't say that i've loved everyone because one i have not finished the book yet right and I'm okay with that because I, I love the fact that I have something to go back to and learn more about every player. The Baseball 100, I kept saying to Jeff, I can't wait to get him on. I don't know how long we're going to have with Joe, but I could talk to you for hours and I'm wasting that time already. But the Baseball 100, Jeff pointed something out to me. I think it was Jeff. I mentioned I'm, I'm going through the book and it's the baseball 100. It's not, you don't say it's the MLB 100. That's right. Okay. It's the baseball 100. And what that means is in this book, there are players who played in the Negro leagues, which right. should get their recognition. We have had, it's so great when we go through these things we see Bob Kendrick mentioned. Yes. He's been a guest on the show a couple of times. You have Sadahara Owen here. That's okay. Right. So, and then there are players that, that I've never heard of. And so Joe, I could go on and on gushing. I'm going to stop. I'm going <laughs> to let Jeff now have his time because I've used all mine up, but I'm going to, we're going to come back to me. But again, standing O, this book is one of the best baseball books I've ever read. Highly recommend it. Everybody must get this book. Thank you for writing it. Well, thank you. I mean, the, all of that is so meaningful to me. I, you know, when you when you write a book like this, and it is 800, and you know, when you count the index, it's close to 900 pages, and and it's it's three pounds of book. You know, when you write a book like that, you you, you kind of hope that it reaches an audience, right? I mean, you know that you're really, really geeking out on baseball and 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 you're like, oh, is this going to find an audience? Are there enough really hardcore baseball fans out there that are going to love this book? And that's what you think as you're writing it. And then, you know, the book comes out and and people, you, you, you find people 
like yourself, who obviously, a, you know, couldn't be a bigger baseball fan and couldn't be a baseball, bigger baseball literary fan, to, you know, and to, to hear that is, is incredible to, to hear from people who say, I'm not a particularly big baseball fan, but I love this book is incredible to hear people say, I can't read the book because my 12 year old daughter grabbed it before I could get to it is incredible. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's so much better than I even hoped. You know, I mean, I had these big hopes when this book came out, obviously, every time you write a book, you want it to be something really, really special. And uh, it has been so incredible for me how, how this book has been received. It, it, absolutely. You're right. Uh, I, I mentioned the glossary of terms earlier, and it's very important to read this because I've been using, I mean, I'm an old school guy, you know, batting average, RBI's home run. And I know about on um, base percentage and slugging percentage, but that slash line that you talk about the batting average on base percentage, slugging percentage. 300, 400, 500. That's a great baseline when you're looking through the book. I mean, I I, I know what war is. I can't figure it out. So I'll just, I take everybody's, uh, you know, position. And okay, no, the war number is what it is because I have no idea. He's how an accountant. <laughs> Joe, Jeff is a CPA. <laughs> and I also love a lot of these tidbits and stories that you, ne- you never get from anywhere else. Like I'm looking right now at the Ozzy Smith chapter. Sure. He's just, he has 621 assists in, in a year. Never going to happen again. And and you bring out because, well, there's not enough balls in plays now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was an incredible number when he did it. I mean, he was the first one to get 600 assists in a season. But it was not this mind-blowing number that it is now. I mean, now because of strikeouts, because there are not so many balls in play, you could lead the league with 400, 450 assists. I mean, you know, we're talking – the, the guy was having one or two more assists per game than the very best defensive shortstops in the game today. I mean, it's that really is incredible. Absolutely. And also, don't miss the fit footnotes. Again, <laughs> such great mm-hmm. stuff in here. Look, who knew Gaylord Perry had the same record as his brother at one time? That's amazing. It might be my favorite tidbit in the book is that Gaylord Perry and Jim Perry – for one, like it was like for one day or three days or some r- ridiculous thing, but had the exact same career record. I mean, that's that's when you start believing that there's something bigger in baseball. You know, I mean, it's it's that's that stuff is I love that stuff. Yes, me too. You know, Joe, there's a hundred players mentioned. We could obviously touch upon so many of them. I want to try to 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 get to things that maybe other interviews are not going to ask you. I mean, I, I could certainly, oh, you know, uh, uh, Buck Leonard is mentioned, Pete Rose, uh, Barry Bonds, Pedro Martinez, I mean, on and on and on. I think what people have to, to, to know is that you're going to find out whether you think you know a player, you're going to find out something. As I'm reading this, how did you, one, narrow it down to 100 players? Because I'm sure you had players, I think Many. you even mentioned that some were outside of the, the, of the, as I'm mentioning this now, I'm thinking of some other things that I want to ask you, but good thing I took notes. <laughs> How did you get it to the hundred and feel comfortable releasing this book? <laughs> sure. I mean, I would have, wait, I can't, I can't send this into the publisher yet. I, I, I do I have? <laughs> when when did you finally you know get to that hundred? How did you do that? 
It's a great, it's a great question because it's exactly what my mindset was going through. So I'll tell you that that the final 10 on this list, so 91 through 100, I had 40 players for those for those 10 slots. And it was hard getting it down to 40, but I got it down to 40 players for those 10 slots. And there were certain players that I'm sure people can see on that 10 that had to be on there in my view. So now this it's down to six slots and five slots and three slots. And I mean, it was brutal. It was, that was by far the, you know, people say, well, what about ranking the top end of this? And yeah, I mean, look, you, you, you make your choices and you go, right. There's no other way, but leaving players out, there's so many great players that I wanted to write about too, that, you know, and, and it's funny because uh, I say this in the book, I think I actually end the book with this. This book was such a, you know, it's a hundred, a hundred players. And my wife, uh, who watched me go through it all? She's like, "What? You, you, next time, maybe the baseball fifty? You know, I mean, maybe that's a, a little smarter idea." Um, but honestly, I wanted it to be the baseball two hundred because I, there was so many players I wanted to write about. So it was very hard. Th- look, the way I came up with the list, I, just to give you a quick a rundown on that, I started with with the stats. I, I really did. I I worked with a guy named Tom Tango who invented the wins above replacement that uh, war that we were talking about earlier. And we came up with a formula that I really liked. It was, it was, it's a different formula than, than probably anybody else has used. And it brought together a lot of different pieces, but, but, but for me, there were three particular pieces that brought together. I wanted players who were well-rounded. That was, that was really important to me. So, so, I mean, there are players in here who are one-dimensional, but one one great dimension, right? Like they were unbelievable hitters or whatever. But I wanted players, if I could find them, who did everything well. I wanted players that represented uh, their time. And, and, you know, that's really where it gets to be tricky because obviously how do you compare a Walter Johnson to a Pedro Martinez, right? You're talking about over many, many, many years, a different game in a lot of ways. And but I wanted them how they compared to their time. That was that was important. And then I wanted players who were truly great, like they reached a peak of true greatness. I didn't necessarily want players who were very, very, very good for a long period of time, even though that's an incredible achievement. And those people are in the Hall of Fame and they should be. But what I wanted were players who reached a very high peak. So so that was how we started. And when we finished that formula, that's the easiest part. You have a list and the list, you know, we took it all the way down to a thousand, more than a thousand, where you can actually just rank them in order. I mean, and then there they are. And it's, and it looks so clean when you do that, by the way, you know, we could, it's so hard, you know, later the, the efforts that I went through, it's like, boy, if I just stayed with that formula, it was all there for me right there, you know, but that's, that's where it starts. And then to me comes the hard part and, and the fun part where you actually start saying, okay, look, this formula is great, but it's not everything. And I want to rank these players the way I want to rank these players. And and some of the players that were in that original list of the hundred are not on the, in the baseball 100. Some of the players who are outside of that list are in the baseball 100. And of course that list didn't contain Negro leagues players. Like you mentioned, it didn't contain world players like, uh, like Sadahara O from Japan, but also, great players from Cuba or, or, or Puerto Rico or the Dominican Republic from before the time they could play in the major leagues. So then you put that list together and then you start moving it around. And then 
but you are, you couldn't have nailed it more on the head. There comes a moment where you have to say, that's my hundred right there. Cause otherwise you could spend literally, you'll never finish it ever because every single day I would come in and go, no, I want, I don't want that. I want that guy. And I want move that up and move that down. And you have to come to a point where at some point you're like, okay, that process is over. This is the baseball 100. And now comes the, the writing. So you, you really do have to almost, you know, you know, just stomp on your own feet or something and just go, okay, enough. You're it's time to go. Well, top 10, 20. I mean, nobody can quibble with you. You really didn't need to, you didn't need to do any stats with that. I mean, you know, come on. Uh, Yeah. And, you know, I'm not going to give anybody any secrets. Willie Mays, Babe Ruth, you know, uh, I would say even the top 50, top 50 are pretty easy. Yeah. I suppose if it was 50, it would be harder. Now suddenly 40 to 50 would be hard, right? Like you would, you would have that issue. Right. Right. But yes, I mean, there are, I think I did actually did this figuring once. There were something like 68 or 69 players who never, I never even considered not having them on the list. Like they were, you know, the bad, they they were players that it's like, okay, guaranteed on the list. I mean, they're absolute no brainers. And there were probably another 10 or 20 that I thought, yeah, I mean they're 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 one of the hundred greatest players. It was really those last you know fifteen to twenty where you're just like, yeah, this is <laughs> there could be it could be any of these guys. All of these guys deserve to be on this list. Yeah, and you have some people on this list that some people never heard of, and I'm going to say you know Oscar Charleston. We were lucky enough a couple of years ago to interview Jeremy Beer, who you do mention in the book. Yes, uh, about his biography on Oscar Charleston, and he was, was just a oh great player. Oh great, yeah. yeah. And a great book. I mean, yes, I, it, it's interesting to me. There are Negro Leagues players in here, as you know, you, you mentioned a couple of them already, who people wouldn't know. Everybody knows Satchel Page. Everybody knows Josh Gibson. Might not know Bullet Rogan or might not know Pop Lloyd or might not know some of these other guys that are in the book. Charleston is the weird one to me because even within the confines of the Negro Leagues, he was always viewed as the greatest player. You know, they, they, you know, Gibson was the greatest hitter and Page was the greatest pitcher, but Oscar Charleston was the greatest hitter. And yet for many, many, many years, nobody knew him. I mean, he really was unknown. Gibson was known and Page was known, but, but Oscar Charleston wasn't. He came earlier than those guys did. He, he was, you know, a, a player who was, there were legends about him, but the legends weren't necessarily you know, like Josh Gibson hitting a fly ball that never landed or Satchel Page, you know, striking out 27 batters uh, and, and one town and then doing it again in another town and all of that. So, yeah, I mean, I think you know, that's the one because for me, the rankings could, as you guys saw, they're very fluid. I mean, I to me, it's it's more of an art, I think, than science of just putting connecting players to numbers. That's what I wanted to do. But I wanted Oscar Charleston to be in the top five because I thought. One, he deserves to be there. He should be there. But two, because I thought that would jolt people and say, wait a minute, I've never even heard of this guy or I know almost nothing about him. And and that was part of what I wanted to do with that. And and you tell a story in in the Oscar Charleston chapter where you, Willie Mays, is in the Negro League Museum and you talk about the catch. Could you uh, expand on that? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm trying to remember. I remember uh, vividly him being there and I remember vividly Buck O'Neill talking to him about because there's a statue of Oscar Charleston in center field and, and Buck O'Neill saying to, to Willie Mays that Oscar Charleston was you before you. 
And Willie Mays saying, oh, I know who he is. Because when he was young, he was a great player. And everybody, everybody said, yeah, but he's no Oscar Charleston. I mean, that's, that's really, he, he'd heard that all of his life. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, uh, I think what a week or so after Willie Mays made that famous catch in 54, that's when Oscar Charleston passed away. That's right. Yeah, no, no, that's, that's a hundred percent right. And I did think that was, you know, there were, there were so many moments of, I don't know, kismet or something in this book where I, remember that particular one. And this happened a lot when I was writing this book. So I'm writing about Oscar Charleston. I've got all this stuff. And then I see the date of his death and I'm, you know, writing about that. And I'm like, wait, 54, that's October of 54. That's, that's gotta be right around the same time. You know I mean? Yeah. Like they, like you, you start making those kinds of connections and, and suddenly they become a, a vivid part of the book. There are a few ways you can read this book. So it starts at 100, and then if you go the normal way to read a book, the you know the the, the way we most people here read books, <laughs> you go from 100 to one, and it's very funny. And I and I said to Jeff the other day, what what number are you up to or whatever? And he told me, and I said, oh wow, you got you got far or whatever. But he started reading from the back of the book, the one end backwards. of the book, at <laughs> one to the other way. And of course, there's one other way, which is just to grab the book, flip open a page and just read. So I joked with Jeff and I said, well, so you're actually reading it the Hebrew way. <laughs> That's right. You're going, That's right. you know, back to front. Right? I should have put it. I should have put a back cover. I should have actually had like, <laughs> like, you know, like you like you do right. at, uh, at, at Monica, you know, I mean, at the Passover where you just have, you know, you're, you're looking through the back cover. Yeah. And then what I and then what I thought about was and we haven't really talked about it and and you mentioned it prominently. And actually, in the introduction, you talk about your mother and and her where she you know how she just came to the country and you were born three years later and she spoke Yiddish. And that's a facet. Even that was a funny, fascinating story. And then you talk about Mike Mussina and how the scouting report on him is he's a mensch. Yeah. So. Actually, based on your background, reading it from the the end from number one <laughs> backwards actually makes a lot of sense. So so, Joe, um, in my long winded way of saying it, which I'm famous for, tell us more about you. you tell us your background, because th- even that's a fascinating story. Yeah, I mean, I'm boy, I, I, I just never thought that 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 was the life I was going to live. I mean, I ended up with this this crazy, wonderful life. You know, hearing hearing that uh, that 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 you are uh, a CPA is is amazing to me because I went to school to become an accountant, and which is what my mother thought uh, I should do. Not not taking into account my very limited uh, skills and ability with numbers, and so and I tell this story to to kids, and and it's it's a hundred percent true. Uh, I remember vividly the day that I knew I wasn't going to become an accountant. I used to take the city bus home from from college daily. I lived at home, and I used to take the city bus home. and I and I remember this day. I was in the city bus, and we passed a like a like a business park, and and I was looking out the window at this business park, and there were all of these you know people out there, and they all had these 
they were smoking and they had these satchels and, and briefcases and they were dressed up in suits. And I remember looking out the window and thinking, you know, that's never going to be me. That's never going to be my life where I'm going to be out there in that group. And, and coincidentally, that was the day I had failed out of accounting in college. So it worked out really well. It was like a nice, you know, it was a nice way to, to, to have that timing. And I truly did go home. I had a typewriter and I wrote a bunch of letters to a bunch of different people who I thought had interesting jobs. I, I wrote to, to Bob Costas was, was, you know, he was at NBC at the time. Uh, I found an address for him and wrote to him and he wrote back. I wrote to, to other sort of celebrity types. I wrote to some local people who had jobs that seemed interesting to me. And one of the people I wrote to was the sports editor uh, of the Charlotte observer where I was, where I was living, where I still, I'm living again, where I left Charlotte for 30 years and then we're back. But I wrote to the sports editor of the Charlotte observer, a guy named Frank Barrows. And he wrote back and said, well, you know, that we sometimes let, you know, guys come in, kids, not guys, you, you, women as well, come in and write, write little stories about high school teams. If you want to come in and cover a high school game for us, we'll pay you 20 bucks. We call them stringers. You could be a stringer for us. And I thought, wow, this is unbelievable, you know, and 20 bucks, I needed it. And so I, I called and begged and pleaded and he gave me a, a, an opportunity and then he gave me another one and another one and another one. And I was scared to death because I loved it immediately so much. And I just thought, I, I don't, nobody had ever told me I could write. I, I had literally no knowledge whatsoever that I had any ability as a writer. I was scared to death. I wasn't good enough to do it. And I, and I just vowed to myself, whatever I have to do. To, to do this because I love this so much. And wow, it worked out. And, you know, and then you, <laughs> and then suddenly you end up, you know, being, uh, being a, a columnist in Cincinnati and Kansas City and you're working at Sports Illustrated and you're traveling around the world and you're writing books. And I, I literally have no earthly idea, you know, I mean, it, just to be the son of, 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 of immigrants who, who came to this country just before I was born and, you know, they didn't know anything about what it was to to be uh, an American, and and just taught me to go after what I wanted, and and uh, so yeah, so it's it's unbelievable to me. I mean, it really is <laughs> unbelievable to me that that at the end of the day, I could be, you know, allowed to write an eight hundred and thirty page baseball book. I, it, it blows my mind. Uh, and, and you did a fantastic job writing the book, obviously. I, I do have a couple of uh, questions on, on some of the players. And I thought I knew everything about the Pete Rose and the Pete Rose saga. And you know what? Turns out I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I knew about the baseball rule, no gambling on, on your team. But I didn't know there was one, you can't gamble on another team. And it was yeah. two different punishments. And who knew that what, what you know what 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 possessed Pete Rose not to take that deal is unbelievable. It's it's really amazing, and and you know, boy, I'm glad you said this because every one of these essays, I had two very very strong thoughts in mind. One is if they've never heard of this player, they don't know who it is. So if it's Archie Vaughn or it's or it's or it's Buck Leonard or it's uh, Pop Lloyd or whoever it is, I want to 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 make this so so that. They learn about the player and they like the player. They get to know the player. But they also wanted it, uh, if you are a passionate fan of that player, 
that I give you something that you might not have known, you know, some, some way of looking at it. And I had written about P-Rolls forever. My second book was The Machine about the 1975 Reds. I had written so much. And it was only by going back and taking a very, very close look at the moment when Bart Giamatti uh, banned him forever, looking at that saga, which was very ugly, very ugly. It ended up being Rose suing baseball, suing the commissioner personally, the commissioner, you know, we all know what it did to his health. I mean, he, he, you know, and he died shortly afterward and, and uh, it was very, very ugly. But what I did not know is exactly what you're saying. There are two rules. The rule is if you bet on baseball, it's a one year suspension. And if you bet on your own team, it's a lifetime ban. So there are two different rules in, on the books. And it is very clear when you watch this thing go that Barciamati just wanted to suspend him for a year. That's absolutely what he wanted to do. And he just wanted Rose to admit he bet on baseball. He was going to close the book on it. He he was ready to go. He, he didn't want this black eye for baseball. Rose was such a beloved figure. He didn't want to be the one to, to knock him out. He certainly didn't want him to not go to the Hall of Fame. He didn't want any of those things. But Rose was so adamant and so combative and such a, you know, I don't know if he would regret it. I don't know if Pete Rose has regret, but, but he fought and fought and refused to admit even a single thing, which is how he lived and how he played. It's part, it's part of what made him such a great player was his refusal to back down to anything. And because he didn't back down, the commissioner had no choice, but to uh, suspend him for life and, and he'll never get back in. You know, he'll never get back into the game. Right. right. If you said you had two, so I'm not interrupting. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Another one. Uh, I always knew Eddie, I didn't I didn't see Eddie Matthews play, at least in his prime. But I knew he was a great player. But I didn't know how great he was looking at this this list that you had of a career home runs at progressive ages. And he was actually on pace uh, higher than Aaron. Yes. And then, yeah, and that was you know unbelievable to me. And then around yeah. what age 31, 32 season, it flipped and when Aaron obviously Aaron became the, the, the greatest home run hitter, you know, who lived. So yeah, it, it that's just amazing. Yeah, Matthews was so good, so young. You know, he was that's why he stayed ahead of, of Henry Aaron's pace for, you know, and they were teammates and and great friends and very close to each other and all of those things. And Andy Matthews was the manager for the Braves when and uh, Henry Aaron broke the record. So it was a very, but you're right. There were, there were a couple of things that struck me about Eddie Matthews. And it's a guy that, that has, I wouldn't say he's been forgotten, but I don't think people talk about him anymore uh, very much. Eddie Matthews, to me, there's no question when he retired, he was the greatest third baseman in baseball history. You know, since then, Mike Schmidt has come along and George Brett and Chipper Jones and, and uh, Adrian uh, Beltre and, uh, and so on and so on. But when he retired, he was the best. But nobody viewed him as the best. And, you know, that's a big story I talk about in the book, how how Pi Trainer ended up being named the, the third baseman of the all-time team in 1969 and, and, uh, and not Eddie Matthews and how ridiculous that was. So he was always underrated, and then he just kind of kept on being underrated. And he was, a, he was not always an easy guy. You know, he was he was not always somebody that was, you know, he, he didn't love the media by any stretch and 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 so on. But you're right. What a what a great, great player he was and and underappreciated for, for how great he was. That's why I thought after reading it, very underappreciated. 
let's go back to your mom for a second. Okay. Your mom may have been an immigrant and may have not known anything about baseball, but you point out something. Your mother was against the designated hitter. (laughs) (laughs) And so some people will side with her and some people won't. Uh, but your your mom w- wouldn't have approved of his uh, of his no, she, position. <laughs> so- I, I I I remember it's like it was yesterday, and it's funny because she she's read this book. My mother knows nothing about baseball, cares nothing about baseball. That's never changed, and it never will change. But she read this whole book and and really really liked it, which in some ways is going to be the greatest compliment I'm ever going to get is because my mother, if she didn't like it, she would have told me that she didn't like it. But yes, she was the one who uh, I first collected baseball cards with. She loved the idea of baseball cards. She loved uh, organizing. That was her still is in many ways, her thing. So she loved organizing and, and baseball cards are perfect. They're perfect organization things because they have numbers teams positions you can you can put them in any order you want there's so many different things and we were we were putting them in in order of position and the baseball cards used to say it was 76 and the the dh had said des hitter it didn't say designated hitter didn't say dh said des hitter and my mother says who what is this des hitter and i said that's a designated hitter and she was like well what is that and I said, it's a person who doesn't play in the field, but hits. And her immediate reaction was, that's stupid. Like, that was like her immediate reaction was, yeah, that's that's stupid. But as you guys have read in the book, my mother's most famous baseball uh, quote is, uh, after I wrote my very first baseball story for the newspaper, she called me and and I was obviously very excited. It was my first baseball story. I'd written other sports, but not baseball. And my mother called me and she said, I read your story today. It's very good. And I said, thank you. And she said, I just have one question for you. Who are you to determine if a run is earned or unearned? <laughs> and I, I, I've always held on to that as, uh, as sort of something. Yeah, who am I to, to make that determination? That's a great story. <laughs> Joe, you write a book like this. And, and the beauty of it is that everybody has an opinion. So we're all gonna we're all gonna have opinions, and 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 you know right away when you're writing this that you're gonna invite controversy. But that's what you want. You want people to talk about it. I'm I'm gonna say everything I'm saying is positive. I'm gonna say one thing. One yes. Thing. You have Mike Mussina in here as among the hundred greatest of all time. Okay, I'm I, he is in the Hall of Fame, so I'm not gonna argue it. What I am going to argue, though, is t- two things. One, at the end of the Mike Mussina chapter, you say one of the greatest pitchers who ever lived. That I have an issue with. <laughs> and then the other thing is, and this is, well, I'm, I'm married to an English teacher, and sure. I I am a, uh, a frustrated stickler. writer. Yeah, a stickler. A, stickler, a frustrated writer, sure. probably why. One of the reasons we do this podcast, you know, and, and, and I also I wrote, you know, at times for local papers and stuff, the, the expression, whoever lived. Well, I understand it's an expression, but as opposed to what? Who never lived? Right. <laughs> right. That's a, that's a great... I just 
And people will say, you know, Leonard, it's just an expression. Get over it. But I cannot. The greatest who ever lived as opposed to what? Who? It's a good, so it's, I know someone who's the greatest who never lived. There I, you I, go. So, my, my, my friend, uh, Jonathan Hawk, who uh, who actually co-wrote, uh, well, co-made uh, the movie that they play at the Baseball Hall of Fame now. Uh, John is a, is a great director, has done a bunch of 30 for 30s. And he did one on the greatest running back who never lived. It was uh, a running back who uh, who uh, never got to play in the in in the NFL. And so, yeah, I, you're you're 100 right. Yeah, look, I Musina was definitely one of those players who you know is is drawn. I wouldn't say controversy. I don't see it as controversy, by the way. I mean, I've had lots and lots and lots of arguments, but I to me that's what it's about. I, I don't see it as drawing. It's just my opinion. I mean, you know, it's like there's no to me, there's no controversy. If somebody says to me, like, how could you leave Juan Marichal out of this book? Well, they're right. They're right. You know, but but my only real response is, you know, you could write your own baseball 100 and then you could put Juan Marichal in your book. Which, But but they're right. Juan Marichal belongs on this list. Of course, he's one of the greatest players who ever lived. Huh? You like that? How I just brought that in. <laughs> but yeah, you can you can make make arguments for all of these players. You can make arguments. These this person is too high, too low. And I love that because I the other thing about that is. I, I think baseball more than any of the other sports, in my view, thrives on those kinds of arguments. Uh, I mean, yes, you have the Michael Jordan versus LeBron James in basketball. You have the Tom Brady versus whoever you want in football, but it's not the same. It's not the same as it is in baseball. Baseball so cherishes its history. It's so nostalgic. It's so romantic. And, and so when we're sitting there arguing about whether or not Ken Griffey Jr. would have been one of the 10 greatest players ever had he stayed healthy. That's, that's the lifeblood of baseball in my view. You know, that's, that's, that's exactly the kind if you're watching a football game, if you're at a game, you are locked in and there are people around you or, or yelling at you and, and maybe hitting each other and, and pouring beer on each other or whatever. And I've been in all of those circumstances, but you're at a baseball game and you walk around, it's a bunch of people talking about, I got to see Brooks Robinson play, right? I got to, I, I remember Greg Maddox when he used to do this, or I I was there when Sandy Koufax threw this, you know. And that, to me, is why baseball is, is one of the reasons baseball is so wonderful. And so I hope that all of that is in this book. And so, yes, it is, it is I say right at the beginning, I know you'll have disagreements. Let's go. Let's talk about them. Let's fight. Let's argue. It's because I think I think that's so much a part of baseball. And my favorite player you have in the book, and he was so and I can't believe he's so low on the list. But like I said, you had to read the introduction because he's listed at number 41. And I was and I was at that game when he went number 300 at Yankee Stadium. It was a, it was a great day. And you brought me back to that day. That's um, awesome. Tom Seaver, 41. You, you guys know this because you've seen it and you've read it. When I say the numbers are more art than science, I really mean it. I mean, there are many, many players in this list, more than, than people even think. Like people will say, oh, I noticed a couple. There are a lot of players on this list who are connected to a number rather than a ranking. Exactly. And and some of them are controversial. I think the most controversial is DiMaggio. He's, he's mm-hmm. definitely too low if you were looking at purely as a ranking. But when I think of the number 56, I think of Joe DiMaggio. So to me, it's an honor 
that I wanted to give him, he gets he gets the number. It's the, there nobody else should be fifty six, uh, and I think it's the same way with Tom Seaver at forty one. And and uh, and you know, I, somebody said to me, so if Mike Trout was forty one and Tom Seaver was twenty seven, would you just have swapped them? Is that what you would have done? And uh, you know, I I I just kind of shake my head because they're not those numbers, so I don't have to I don't have to answer the question. <laughs> but also, you know, I mean. What I tried, other than with DiMaggio, who I definitely moved quite a bit, almost, I mean, every other player is within a couple of where they were anyway. It was just, so if I'm making Tom Seaver 36, you know, nobody's going to remember that, but I make him 41, his number, his, his moment. The other thought that I had for him was to make him 69 for the, for the 69 Mm -hmm. Mets. Right. It was too low. It was too low. I can't make it number six. Right. So 41 is, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy with Tom Seaver. And apropos, when I read the Yogi Berra chapter, what you've done in research there and just going through those, I guess, game little summaries that you, you picked out 12 game summaries of his. And yes. it was, well, wasn't good. It was all negative. But that was the only 12 times he struck out, which <laughs> uh, when you think about today, it's unbelievable. Yeah, that's 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 not even that's like a half a week for like uh, Giancarlo Stanton. Yeah, I mean, it's it, I'll tell you one thing about this book that really helped me. I wrote a cover story about Yogi Berra for Sports Illustrated. And did a ton of research and and did a ton of work and and you know and I spent time with Yogi obviously before he was gone it was at with him at the museum he was wonderful and and loved the guy okay so now I'm doing a Yogi Berra now it's time for the Yogi Berra chapter in the book I'm like well it's got to be completely different from what I wrote for Sports Illustrated so everything that I wrote for Sports Illustrated look I'm going to pull pieces of it obviously but I'm like what what can I do about Yogi Berra that I haven't done before. Something completely new and different. And I noticed there's the year he struck out 12 times. And I was like, what if I did that? What if I literally found all 12 times that he struck out and, and built, you know, around, around that, around his greatness, you know, to, to show how great he was. And, you know, I tried to do that with a lot of people. I mean, that was, that was, that was some of the fun was the challenge of say, how do you write about Roberto Clemente or how do you write about Sandy Koufax or how do you write about, you know, Johnny Bench in a way that, that has not happened before. And and that's, that's a fun challenge. Yeah. And one, one last thing with Yogi Berra though, and it's right when, when, when you wrote, he didn't say everything he said, I'm just going <laughs> to leave it at that because there's something, there was a line in there, the film is famous quote that I thought he said, and he, he they didn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's funny because so many of his quotes, even he didn't remember whether he said them or not. At some point, it's just like, yeah, it's not even it's not even worth fighting about. But his most famous quote is what I went to look for. And actually, I, I'm, I don't want to give it away. I know. I'm glad you I didn't. don't either. The quote he said, I think, is better than the quote he got famous for. So I, that, I'll leave it at that. I, yes. I think gotta what get the he book. actually said was, I thought, even better. Yes. Got to get the book. I didn't want to ruin it either. (laughs) The books, the baseball 100. We are speaking to the author, Joe Posnanski. And just I'm telling you, Joe, as I'm sitting here and we're talking, I'm I just this is this is like being in a candy store. It really is. What a treat. There is a number in the book that you do not mention and you specifically don't mention it. But I'm going to mention it. Yes. And it's number 19. That's right. Why don't you tell us why you didn't put number 19 and how do you avoid putting number 19? (laughs) It was, I 
think it occurred to me pretty late, actually. I mean, I think the book was, the list was basically done and I started looking and people will know that two of the greatest all-time players were 20. Mike Schmidt, Frank Robinson, both were number 20. And that really intrigued me that they both wore number 20. And I started to think to myself, who would I, okay, I can only give one of them 20. Who would I give 20 to? Eh, Part of me says, all right, look, Mike Schmidt, you know, great fielder, great, great home run hitter, walked a lot, was just this, but, but Frank Robinson was this unbelievable hitter, won the triple crown. And I'm going back and forth and back and forth. Who's, you know, and it really, and they were right next to each other on the list, by the way. I mean, in, in, even on the statistical list, they were right next to each other. And I thought yeah, they both, they're both number 20. That's, there's no other answer for me to, I, cause I only, cause it really mattered to me to give people the number that I thought they, that they deserved. That was really important to me. I had a really tough time with 24 uh, because 24 was Ken Griffey Jr. And 24 was Ricky Anderson. And trying to figure out who should be 24 and, and, and who, who is not is, was, was tough. So I saw 20 and I said, you know what? They're both 20. And I thought, but how do I do that? And then I thought, you know what? No 19 because of 1919 Black Sox. And I mean, it was just a moment where I, you know, and, and Shoeless Joe is not in this book. He was the, one of the last, very, very last ones to get knocked out uh, at the very end. And I thought, oh, this is a way to get Shoeless Joe in the book somewhere. You know, it's like if, if people notice that number 19 is not there, maybe they'll, uh, maybe they'll wonder why the heck there's no 19 in the book. Joe, we, we really appreciate your time. We can go on and on and on hours for this. Uh, I do have one more question on talking about the great pitchers of the 60s and 70s. We've talked about Siva, Carlton, Palmer, Gibson. One that you have in the book that I guess is maybe gets a little forgotten, but Fergie Jenkins. And when I read yes. his chapter, wow, 20 wins, you know, it's seven, it's nine seasons in a row. I mean, yeah. it's unbelievable. Yeah. And then, yeah. You know, what an underrated and great pitcher he was. And and he's one of my favorites because I think even if you know Fergie Jenkins and know that he was this really good player, I don't know that you know why exactly. You know, with Seaver, it was so obvious that the perfect motion and the and the high fastball and and all the strikeouts and everything else. And Carlton had the great slider and 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 uh, you know was this big. Uh, lanky guy who didn't talk to the press and Gibson obviously was as intimidating as they come, but what was Fergie Jenkins thing? What was his deal? Why was he so good? I mean, he, he certainly had a good fastball. He certainly had good stuff. He, he had great control, but, the, but what makes him like separates him? And the answer is, you know, the, what I think the answer is, is in this chapter about the relentless nature of the way he pitched. He just, he knew who he was and he knew how he was going to get people out. And he did the same thing again and again and again and again. And, you know, there's there's a real greatness to that. And Fergie's still with us and is is a wonderful guy. I j- actually just did a uh, – they, they were doing a, a Ferguson Jenkins documentary for WGN I was a part of. And, you know, it's – he's only now in many ways beginning to get sort of some of the recognition and love. You know, we've lost Seaver. We've lost Gibson. You know, the, the – those guys from the sixties and seventies where they're not that many of them are with us anymore. The great ones. Uh, so now people are beginning to finally see, wow, Ferguson Jenkins, what a great pitcher he was. Yeah. He had 3000 strikeouts, less than a, a less than a thousand walks. Yeah. Only one of four pitchers who've done that, you know, it says Schilling Maddox and Martinez and, and, and Jenkins. 
not a bad, not a bad group to be. Not not that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Joe, uh, again, we thank you very much. Where can people, you know, find you? I I said, JoePoznanski.com. Yeah. Anywhere else, uh, any other social media you have? And I do have Twitter, Jay Poznanski. That's, that's pretty easy to find. And yes, JoePoznanski.com uh, is where I do my writing now. And I would love if people would like to sign up. You can sign up. There's two different ways. There's a subscription site, but it's also free uh, where you can get some free uh, stuff. And uh, I'm having a lot of fun. I'm actually counting down the 101 greatest football players there now it's it's a it's a much different project than the baseball <laughs> one but uh but just for fun we're, we're trying it a little bit with football now i have a feeling lawrence taylor's on that list he he, he might be he <laughs> might very well be joe i i know I, I don't know maybe jeff's trying to wrap up or whatever but i am not letting you go yet so <laughs> i think as as you've probably are listening and 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 see how we do this jeff manages to always get back to the subject at hand and I kind of somehow move around sure I had the I had the thrill once of being in the Vatican and I was on a tour and the woman that was giving the tour said to us she was uh, she went to mass uh, every day or whatever and she said to us I was at a mass and the pope uh, I forget who the pope was at the time i don't want to say the wrong pope but and the pope actually walked in or was there and he would just come in and sit and and she said and he i think he shook her hand or i I guess kissed her hand whatever he did so she said this is the hand that touched the pope and (laughs) she offered that hand she said you can i will shake your hand this is the hand that you know touched the pope well I almost feel like that's with you. We are talking to the man who spoke to some people that we'll never get to speak to, whether, you know, because we are not the the huge podcast, you know, that uh, of some famous people or unfortunately because they've passed away. There is one person that you had the privilege of speaking with that Jeff and I both believe should be in the Hall of Fame. And that is uh, Buck O'Neill. Yeah. And you had the, the honor of speaking to him. And we are speaking to you. But I would like to know a little bit about your relationship with him and just what it's like to speak to him. Because I've heard so many amazing things about him. And I, I just want to hear more. Sure. Yeah. No, I mean, Buck was, there was never anybody like him. There, there never will be anybody like him. I mean, he was as a, as a player, he was a great player in the Negro Leagues. He was a great manager in the Negro Leagues. He was the one of the first, maybe the first really prominent African-American scout in the major leagues. He was the first African-American coach in the major leagues. And he was this wonderful spokesman for the game. But none of those things capture who he was. I mean, he was someone, and I got to, you know, we I got to not only speak to him, but but you know, spend years with him, including my first book where I just traveled the country with him. He was a, he was a great friend. And I, every single day I miss him. And I think about him because the thing about Buck was that he had, in my view, he had every right to be angry, every right to say, you know what? I didn't get the chance to go to Sarasota high school. I didn't get the chance to, you know, even try to play in the major leagues. I didn't get a chance to coach 
on the field. He was the first African-American coach in the major leagues, but they didn't let him coach first or third. They wouldn't let him on the field. I didn't get to manage in the major leagues. And he could have. He could have done all of those things. He could have done them brilliantly well. So he could have been angry. And I have to tell you, there was there was zero anger in him, zero bitterness in him. I saw it literally every day, every single day. Something would happen, and I would just see just the warmth and love that that was was inside him. It was it was incredible. And I I always tell sort of the sad but 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 inspiring story of the day that he didn't make it into the baseball hall of fame and and he thought he was going to get elected they had put together a panel of of experts negro leagues experts to put in as many as they wanted essentially there was they were giving given more or less carte blanche uh to put in you know and they ended up putting 17 people in to the hall of fame uh, all of them were deceased long deceased in many cases and and they didn't vote in Buck. And it, it it was it was, you know, at the time it was an outrage. A lot of people were very angry about it. But I was in the room with Buck when he found out that he didn't get in. And I I remember I was very angry. Bob Kendrick, who was the person who told him, was very angry, but Buck wasn't. And Bob went downstairs to go sort of do a press conference, uh, set up a press conference for Buck. And Buck turned to me and he said, 17 got into the Hall of Fame, right? And I said, yeah, Buck, 17. And he said, I wonder if they're going to ask me to speak for them. And this is minutes after he found out that they didn't vote him in. And I was stunned. And I said to him, Buck, you would do that? You would you would do that you know for for this for the Hall of Fame, and he he looked at me and he said, "Son, what has my life been about?" And he was right. That's what his life was about was about getting the recognition for those seventeen, telling the story, bearing witness to the to the Negro Leagues, and he did. He spoke uh, at the you know because there was nobody else who could do it. There were no family members that, you know, there were a few, you know, but most of these players have been dead 50, 60, 70, 80 years. I mean, there was nobody who knew them and Buck sang there and, and led, uh, you know, led the crowd in song and, and spoke on behalf of those 17 and he died six weeks later. I mean, it was the last public appearance he would make. And I, I think about that story because I was writing my book, The Soul of Baseball, and I had saved the ending for when he got into the Hall of Fame. That was my thought was he's going to get into the Hall of Fame and that's going to be the perfect ending for this book. It's going to be the movie ending. I had, you know, the whole movie cast. I had it all worked out in my mind. And instead he's there speaking on behalf of these 17 and i realized that was the real ending you know that's the the movie ending was the one i wanted but the real ending was once again him being told no and triumphing you know over that and and that's so that's buck o'neill to me thank you yeah thanks for that story that's a great story um jeff i i know we're gonna wrap up joe I hope that we could have you back because there's so many things. I you wrote a book about the life and afterlife of Harry Houdini. I did, um, right? I I mean you 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 did that that the the Hall of Fame movie where you traveled the country and got to interview all the 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 players, which I I, I 
have to tell you how envious I am of you. Yeah. Uh, that. But and we are respectful of your time, but I'm serious, Joe. We I could be, we could be talking to you. It, the sun could be coming up here and we could still be talking to you. You are, I, I, I know I'm gushing. I'm sorry, but no, you're unbelievable. And, and I hope, I hope that as you do all these numerous interviews with all these podcasts and, you know, these other, you know, they're not baseball and barbecue. No, they're not. All these other, <laughs> that you will remember that right here, you have two huge fans who just respect everything that you've done with this book and are very appreciative to you. So I, I hope you uh, will, will keep that in mind because you well, just, thank you're you. a pleasure. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. No, it means a lot. Thank you, Joe. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was incredible. We didn't even scratch the surface with Joe. It, it's I mean, a, a great book. I mean, really, everybody should, every baseball fan should go out there and get this book. It's to be part of the, your library. Yeah, this is one that is going to be, you know, just referred to time and time yeah, again. It's a reference book. The stories that he has about each of the players. Oh, yeah. And, and to be able to rank the, the top 100 players in baseball history. And again, it's it's all it's not just the MLB. I mean, he's got Sadahara O in the book, which we mentioned in the interview. He had. Oh. One thing that we should mention, though, is we did this interview prior. I think you guys are going to know this. If you're listening to this now, you heard the interview. We did this prior to the um, Hall of Fame where the Veterans Committee and the, the, the committees voted. And he's talking, of course, about Buck O'Neill and the, the special relationship that they had. And we're talking about him you know, hopefully getting into the Hall of Fame while well, we all know now that he is in the Hall of Fame. Well, which we're glad. Yeah. Well, well deserved. Deserved. yes. We're very happy yes. that he's not into the Hall of Fame. Yeah. You know, it's it's bittersweet because now in the Hall of Fame, the last time, and, and as Poznanski was saying, he didn't take it, you know, he was thrilled that these 17 other guys got in. Right. But why couldn't he get in when he could enjoy it i come on i mean it's some things are unexplainable right but he you, was you, you just shake your head of, you just shake your head and you, yeah. you can't explain it he was a hall of famer then of it just it but now all of a sudden they realize it i guess again the same with gil hodges they finally righted a wrong right and look let's not take away from tony oliva jim cott Minnie minosa right and Bud Fowler. Of course. Right. Of course. Well, well I, I deserved. Know. Yeah. I want the people to be able to, if it's at all possible, to be alive, to have that, you know, to the joy of it. Yep. But of course, Joe Poznanski is very happy. Bob Kendrick is very happy. You know, anyone that we unfortunately never got the chance to meet him. We, we didn't even get the chance to talk to him, unfortunately. Yeah, but everybody that knew him had such loving things to say about him. Mm -hmm. So they're they're all happy that he's in, and we're happy that he's in. Jeff, if if people want to comment on that interview, if they want to wish us a happy holiday, a happy new year, how can they get in touch with the show? They can email us at baseball and bbq 
at gmail.com. Comment on our Facebook page, Baseball and BBQ. You can tweet us at Baseball and BBQ. You can leave a comment on Instagram, Baseball and Barbecue, where barbecue is all spelled out. Our phone number is 516-855-8214. And our website is www.baseballandbbq.weebly.com. And please rate, review us, follow us. Tell your friends. We want to grow this show. You know, we think we have a fun show and we want to tell, let everybody know about that. And the people listening know we have a fun show. It's the people that, that, that aren't listening. Yes. You know, (laughs) we spread the word, spread the word. Um, The next interview that we have, Jeff, Chris Schaefer, uh, you guys are really going to enjoy Chris. What a, what a great guy. And, and this interview was after he had worked a day he looked exhausted, but he came alive. The so. guy, the, the guy, he works hard. He works at the restaurant. He, he does competitions. We mentioned he's the world champion. Yeah, you guys gonna enjoy this interview. So here he is, Chris Schaefer. Chris Schaefer is the owner and pitmaster of Heavy Smoke BBQ in St. Peter's, Missouri, a world champion competition barbecue team turned food truck catering company. They also have a restaurant located in St. Peter's, Missouri. Chris is with us today to talk about all things barbecue and his experience at the 2021 KCBS Invitation Open World Championship. Welcome to baseball and BBQ, Chris Schaefer. Yeah, man. Thanks for having us, guys. Welcome, Chris. I I guess you froze when I said, uh, when Jeff was talking about the competition and I said, you kicked ass at that competition. Am I right? Yeah, man. We had a really good day. You know, I I, I didn't love to cook going into awards, actually. You know, I I made a couple mistakes along the way. And I, I spent about three hours telling everybody that was the worst cook of my life. And then, uh, then I won the thing. So I had a lot of people mad at me that night. It's like uh, when Nolan Ryan is warming up in the bullpen, doesn't has nothing. And then pitch, pitches a no hitter. That's what it's like. <laughs> no, no. It's like when Chris kicks ass at the competition, right. Nolan Ryan can go, <laughs> well, we want him on the podcast. So right. just, he can go just listen to something else for that. Man, no, no one Ryan throws heat no matter what. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> so then, Jeff, ask him your question. My question to you is, since St. Peter's is only about 30, 40 miles from St. Louis, are you a Cardinals fan? Yeah, I'm a giant Cardinals fan. Okay, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> we may have to talk some baseball, too. Um, but I haven't caught a game in a while. You know, I'm so busy, man. I just haven't got to, haven't got to watch too many of them. But, you know, if, if they're on, that's who I'm rooting for. Right. Good organization. You talk uh, about being busy. All right, yeah. Chris. Yeah. You you compete on the weekends. You run a restaurant all week. So start us at the beginning. What the heck were you thinking? Oh, uh, man, I don't know. I'm a glutton for punishment. The reality is, I, like I said, I'm always trying to run a gun. I'm, I'm just like a busy guy in general, and I'm not great with idle hands. So yeah, I've always been super busy. And, you know, I started competing a while back, and then, yeah, I, I worked quite a bit and competed and got busier and busier and busier and started the food truck. And then, you know, obviously started the restaurant. So now I, I'm, I'm basically open to close at the restaurant, like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and I'll work from 5 a.m. to noon on Thursday and go home and trim my meat and make injections, do that type of stuff and get the trailer loaded and head out somewhere, you know, Friday, Saturday, and sometimes Sunday to compete. And I'll be back on the pits of the restaurant at 5 a.m. on Monday. So I don't really stop. Listen, all that free time he has. The guy's lazy. He's a lazy, <laughs> good nothing. I, I, I tell you, Jeff. Well, to add on to it, add on to it. I coach my daughter's softball team too, so I got practice once a week in games. Wow. 
We stay pretty busy. But are they winning? That's what we want to know. Are they winning? They won. They won about half their games. Um, All right, that's good. They, there was a there was a team in the uh, the league that was uh, I don't know. I think half of them were like driving there. My daughter's only eight years old, and uh, they they kind of trounced every team they played. So we didn't beat them. All right. Well, you did. You you did okay. Go ahead, Jeff. <laughs> so you run a restaurant with I guess your wife Danielle and. Uh, uh, Chad Brewer, is he a friend of yours or just a business partner? Yeah, so Chad, um, you know, we met, man, I was like 15 years old. You talk about always being busy. I was, um, one summer I was 15 and I was working in a harbor actually, you know, cutting grass and doing things like that. And I, I would work all day and I'd go home and shower and I'd work in the restaurant all night doing dishes and stuff. So, you know, I started working there, you know, cooking in a restaurant and then they brought Chad in as the kitchen manager when I was, I think I was maybe 17 and he was like 19. And uh, we worked together all through high school and college and stayed best friends. And it got to a point, you know, he stayed in the industry. I went, you know, to college and kind of in the business world, but he was a kitchen manager and a chef of 20 some odd years. And he was working at a restaurant that was just kind of killing his soul. They were like, oh, let's cook all the ribs on Sunday and microwave them through the week. And he was, it was just killing him, you know, and so I kind of went on a limb and said, let's start this food truck. And I did that for him. My wife left her job as a dental assistant. Chad and, and Danielle worked the food truck while I kind of ran the business and booked all the jobs, and did the books and that kind of stuff. And, you know, when COVID hit, you know, we made a lot of our money parking in front of businesses and selling for lunches and stuff. And everybody went to work from home. And I never wanted to leave a good job to start a restaurant. So with COVID hitting, you know, kind of hurting the food truck, I ended up losing my job due to COVID. And we said, well, let's just, you know, start a restaurant during a global pandemic. Why not? <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, yeah. The truck's not working. So let's. <laughs> well, you, 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 before you came on, you said you're still selling out, which is great. Yeah, we're doing great. You know, we were so, so much busier out the gate from what we thought we were going to be. And we immediately had to pivot. I mean, we were, we were three weeks in and we're like, whoa, like, you know, we got a problem here. We were selling out by like 2 p.m. every day. And we opened 11. And so we were selling out by like 2 p.m. and trying to find ways to cook more food and then ended up buying a, a couple more smokers to try to get ahead of it. I mean, we just, it just took off so fast. We knew we had good food. You know, people love the food truck. We had a good following. And we knew if we could just get them in the front door that we'd keep them with our food and our quality of food, you know, but it took off quick, man. I, my first, I think my first year projection, um, we hit like the third week of May. So I was, uh, I was very happy. Nice, nice. I was going to say about your, your competition team. I mean, I'm looking on your website, well, all those accolades you have, all those grand championship team of the year, reserve grand champions. Well, that's something to really be proud of. Yeah, you know, we've been real successful. Um, you know, I always say I've been real lucky, but, you know, I started cooking, you know, 2011, 2012, and, you know, we we're only doing five, six competitions a year. And at that time, I was cooking with a buddy of mine, uh, just doing chicken on that team. And, 2014, we had a scheduling conflict and uh, I decided to cook one on my own. And um, on that one, that, that very first one I cooked without my partner, I got reserve grand champion and never really went back. Honestly, like I didn't plan on starting a team. So my buddy Cole, who, who got me into it and taught me everything, he, uh, he used to always have this joke. People would say, how do you cook such great barbecue? And he would say salt, pepper and heavy smoke. And so I was going to cook one competition without him. And as an ode to him, I signed up under the team name Salt, Pepper, and Heavy Smoke. And before I sent it in, I was like, that's just too long. And I, I, I mean, I wish I still had that application because I literally just drew a line through salt and pepper and competed as heavy smoke. And then uh, we reserved it and it really never looked back. 
I'm just kind of one, I'm one of those guys that like anything I do, I'm all in. And so, you know, it's, it's one of those things like if I, if I wasn't out, you know, seeing some success, I probably wouldn't be doing, I'd probably go do something else. Chris, are you cooking with your dad? Yeah. So, you know, my first team, uh, my brother-in-law, Jimmy, and a good buddy of mine, Danny, you know, they kind of, you know, were the ones that kind of t- told me to go out on my own, you know, they're like, man, you're cooking chicken. This other guy's team, you know, you're a good cook. You should try to do this thing. And so, you know, the first year they cooked with me, um, the second year, my brother-in-law, Jimmy stayed on. And then my brother, Jeremy cooked with me for one year. And then that was 2015. And, uh, in October we seen, um, I got my first GC in October 15. And then in November of 15, uh, my, we lost my brother committed suicide. So after that, you know, my dad just started coming and hanging out, you know, he just, I just wanted to spend some time with me and I was cooking a lot of local comps. And so he would just come hang out and help where he could, but he was really just hanging out. And then I think it was maybe 17. Uh, my brother-in-law got real busy. His, um, his son was playing super competitive soccer. And so he was just hard to make a lot of the comps. And my dad just stepped in and I think my dad's missed two comps out of our last maybe 180 comps. So uh, it's me and my dad every weekend now. And uh, I wouldn't have it any other way, man. We get to spend so much great time with each other that, that, you know, most fathers and sons don't get. So it's real cool. That's nice. What are you, uh, when you go, when you're out there competition and competition, competition, competing, easy for me to say, <laughs> what equipment are you using? I'm a drum smoker. So, um, cooking barrels over direct heat, hot and fast, you know, we get, you know, brisket and, and pork done in you know, like three, four hours. And we actually get to sleep and get up and get stuff done in time. And, watch these other guys cook all night long and uh you know they're they're dead tired and i'm i'm, I'm wide awake so it works for us because you got all that driving to do <laughs> yeah we travel a lot we do travel a lot <laughs> that 180 uh comps that you were saying did it is that that's about two like how long 180 is about two years two and a half years nah you know so i cooked um i cooked 46 this year Okay. Um, last year, because of COVID, I only cooked 29. The year before that, I cooked 34, 35. Uh, the year before that, I cooked 30 something, you know. So some of the guys do a lot more. Depends. Depends the area. Yeah. So, like live. this year, you know, 46 is a lot. You know, I, I think the mm-hmm. most I've really seen everybody do is in the 50s, but, you know, you only got 52 weekends in a year and sure. living in the Living in the Midwest, you know, the Midwest competitions kind of shut down between November and March. Um, so if you want to compete, you got to travel. Um, and then obviously there's, you know, there's some doubles too. So you can get, you know, two in one weekend or something. But I mean, 46, you know, 46 this year was a lot for me. That's true. That's true. Yeah, that's true. There's only, there's only 52 weeks in a year. So yeah, you know, they got to, they got to rest sometime. We actually had a contest here. I don't know if it, if they're still having it because of COVID, but it's a KB, KCBS uh, mm-hmm. event. It's on Staten Island. And we went a couple of years. I think you would do quite well at that competition. <laughs> yeah. When is that competition? Well, it was. Well, it, April, if, I think. Yeah. But I don't know if it's, I don't know the last couple of years. I'm not even sure they had it. Right. How far, yeah, you, you know, I was going to say, how, how far, how's, where's the farthest you traveled to do a competition? Um, I would say South Carolina. We went to South Carolina twice this year, and then um, next month I'm I'll be in Florida twice. So I think that's probably my furthest. Wow! It's, uh, and you're going, you're driving from St. Louis down to yeah. uh, 
That's quite a trip. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's about 15 hours, um, you know, pulling a trailer and stops. It's probably more like 16, 16 and a half. But mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to try. They got the first weekend in January. There's one in, in Florida. I'm going to try to see if I can find a place to stash my trailer down there. That way I can drive back without pulling it and then go pick it back up for the second one that's in the last weekend of January. So try to do some things like that to save some miles and some fuel cost from, you know, a lot of travel. Sure. Je- Jeff and I, I mean... I know you, we're probably known for, you know, the baseball and barbecue moniker as a cooking team. No, we are, we're, we're backyard cooks. Yep. So love watching the, of course, the pitmasters on TV and all of that. Loved when we went to the competition. That was great. But we are backyard cooks. So what's the, what's the best piece of advice that you could give to a backyard cook? You know, the best thing I can tell you is to keep it simple. You know, I mean, I think too many people are trying to do too many crazy things. You know, there's people I, I see, you know, wrapping ribs with grape jelly and just doing, you know, weird things like that. You know, I think, you know, barbecue and grilling or cooking in general, because I got, you know, kind of a chefy type background is it's really about cooking things properly. You know what I mean? Like you figure out how to cook ribs to the perfect temperature every time the flavor you put on it doesn't matter too much. You know what I mean? Like put a little bit of a salt base down and then a good kind of all purpose flavor and then cook it right. And everyone's going to think it's the best thing they ever had. And Chris, how are you dealing with, you didn't talk about a restaurant, you've been open a year, you had experience with the food truck, but now of course, meat prices are rising. And uh, how do you deal with that? Well, you got to get creative. You know, we've had to raise prices a little bit here and there. Just it's kind of the nature of the beast that's had to, you know, it's had to happen too. But you know, getting creative. Um, you know, if we have anything left over, we've got some things in our menu with with my business partner Chad being a chef. We can do different things. And so, for example, we have uh, egg rolls on our menu, and so we have like a brisket, and then we have a chicken Philly style egg roll. And if I got leftover brisket, I can put it in an egg roll. We have pork cakes, which is born out of my love of crab cakes. That is uh, pulled pork and cream cheese and cheddar cheese. And we, we bread them in panko breadcrumbs and fry them and serve them with coleslaw on them. And, you know, we found ways to use leftovers for that type of stuff. But really, it's just, you know, trying to, you know, make sure you use everything and, 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 and be creative. Right. I'm looking at your menu now. I mean, you have, do have some different things. The St. Louis Cuban. That, that's, uh, I never heard of that. That sounds uh, a little different. <laughs> the yeah, glut- so- glutton. <laughs> Yeah. So the Cuban, you know, I got married in uh, Clearwater, Florida, and uh, my business partner, Chad, was uh, one of my groomsmen, you know, and we went down there to get everything uh, done for the wedding. And man, I bet you we ate 10 Cuban sandwiches down there in the you know, the five days we were there. Just just love that sandwich. So we, had, we opened the food truck. You know, it was our idea to, to do something like that, but you know, our own twist on it. So we still do our pulled pork and a pit ham pickles and a Provel cheese, which is a you know a St. Louis thing, and uh, make a white horseradish sauce and put it in a tortilla and grill it. And uh, that's been our number one seller since we started the food truck with the restaurant and everything. And the glutton was my brainchild. I was I always joked I wanted to make something that, that Guy Fieri would come try. You know, <laughs> so. You know, that's tater tots and mac and cheese and brisket and a, a big old flour tortilla. And we deep fry that thing and cover it in queso. And we sell the heck out of those two. That's great. I mean, besides brisket and pork and, and the chicken, have you gotten any unusual requests? 
at, at your restaurant to cook? I mean, uh, or what is the most unusual thing you ever barbecued? Uh, most unusual thing ever barbecued. Ugh, it's kind of a tough one. Uh, we've cooked a lot of different things. You know, I've cooked alligator and, you know, different things like that. But uh, I try to stick, you know, as, as kind of as traditional as, as possible. But in the restaurant, we got all kinds of crazy requests. So, oh, do you? Uh, do tell. Just, you know, well, yesterday, for example, uh, you know, obviously we make our egg rolls ahead of time. And a lady asked if she could have egg rolls with the meat on the side. And I'm like, well, that's, <laughs> that's, that's literally not possible. You know? uh, so, you know. <laughs> people will people will ask for anything. Uh, we do individual <laughs> meals because of COVID, and so you know if somebody orders, yeah, a hundred sandwiches, you know we'll make a hundred sandwiches and you know deliver it to them, and obviously they'll sort it from there. And we had a lady today that wanted a hundred and fifty individual meals, and she wanted us to label them. <laughs> she, wanted put, she wants to put the people's name on them, and then she asked us oh, to uh, if we could Starbucks. pack them up. Well, she asked if we could package them up in alphabetical orders to make it easier for her. <laughs> to hand them out and i was like i was like man i'm pretty accommodating but that's just not gonna happen right <laughs> i'm sorry uh, yeah. i'm good at alphabetizing things i i'll take that job <laughs> i was gonna say there, there's half my cooks that i think they need help needing that getting that done <laughs> oh i'm sorry oh well <laughs> you know we have to have an episode and and call it like you know just the funniest things yeah, Sorry, things in the restaurant industry. Wow. <laughs> I've always wanted. Uh, I've always wanted to start a blog called uh, "How to Barbecue Wrong," like Malcolm <laughs> reads. Malcolm reads how to barbecue right, but how to barbecue wrong, right. and just and just be nothing but fail stories. You know. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, I should tell them about my story about the ribs. Yeah, I hung ribs in my pit barrel, and they were they were extremely tender. So I thought, oh, if I leave them on longer, they'll be more tender. I go in, run in, I take a shower to get you know the smoke off. I come out, billows of smoke coming out of the pit barrel. <laughs> and I open it up, and there's the hook with like a little piece of meat on it. <laughs> and the ribs are in the firebox. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> so i would be on that i would be on that show i mean i can tell you i can tell you funny fail stories all day i i went to a competition and i used to pre-mix all my rubs uh now you know i've got my own rubs on the market so obviously it's easier to open a bottle and shake it on but i used to pre-mix them all and i had them in containers and uh we hit a bump or something and knocked over the container and i spilled like 90 percent of my pork rub so, you know, the day of the comp, we rub, we rub with what we have and go to put it on. And my brother-in-law put the, the, the actual grill grate in the smoker wrong. So as soon as I put the pork butt on, the grill grate flipped and the pork butt fell dead into the firebox. And so <laughs> I scoop it out, take it inside and wash it off. But now I'm out of pork rub because I spilled it all. And so I just took my rib rub and put it all over it and threw it back on. And that pork got a perfect, perfect score, and we won the comp. <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> I knew yeah. that was coming. <laughs> so, Sorry, I mean, a, a, a perfect's one thing, but to get a perfect, perfect with a pork butt that was in a firebox five hours ago was pretty ridiculous. That's great. <laughs> and now he's got to do that every time. Exactly right. <laughs> you know, I haven't tried. I haven't tried that since. I was actually wrapping brisket at a comp, and my uh, my nephew dropped his Mountain Dew and spilled Mountain Dew all on my brisket wrap, and I'm like, oh. Like, what am I going to do now? So I wrapped it up and I got third place brisket and reserved that comp. And I haven't tried that yet either. 
there, tried it again. <laughs> so, you know, Len, not only does Chris have a food truck, not only has a restaurant, not only a, a, a world champion, he also has a, not, not also makes his own rubs, which he has for sale on his website, but also you teach classes, right? Yep. I teach classes. You know, we just had one this past weekend in St. Louis and I'm doing one in January uh, in Colorado. And then I got one. I'm teaming up with my buddy, Richard Fergola from Fergalicious. And we're doing one in Kansas City in February. Nice. Let's go back to the rubs. Something else you probably didn't find on my website. I've also got a podcast. You do? I, I heard. Yes, I heard through the grapevine about that. But, you know, we only acknowledge the podcast that invite us to be on. So, um, you know. Well, I'm going to ask, what's the name of your podcast? <laughs> well, I'll tell you that in a second. We we haven't recorded one in probably six months because I get I got so busy that. You don't have time the, for a podcast. It's the first thing for you. It's the first thing to back burner. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. I'm not going to I'm not going to I'm not going to hold off the restaurant. I'm not going to skip a comp. I'm not going to tell my daughter I can't go to her game. I'm just going to not do the podcast. But the name of the podcast. So. You guys are familiar with competition barbecue. We worked mm-hmm. so hard. We worked so hard to get all this meat perfect. And then we put six little pieces in a box and we send it to some strangers and hope they tell us that they don't hate it. Right. That's kind of how competition goes. So, um, you know, our, our podcast is very competition focused. And so the name of it is all that for six pieces. So, ah. Ah. <laughs> That's very good. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Six pe- That's perfect. Actually. It's, yeah. I like it. Well, yeah, I had a buddy. I had a buddy say that one time. My buddy Danny, that used to cook with me when I first started heavy smoke, is you know, he, like I think it's maybe his first competition. We get all this done, and I slide it in the box, and he literally was like, "All that for six pieces?" And I'm like, "What?" He's like, "You just give them six pieces?" I'm like, "Yeah." And, you know, he's looking at six pounds of brisket over there that was going to go in a cooler or whatever. And he's like, "You did all that for six pieces, you know?" And and ribs, you have like all those, and you just get the most perfect, right? So. Well, yeah, I cook four racks of ribs and uh, turn in usually eight bones. And so okay. I've always got a big old bag of ribs that one of my neighbors gets and they love it. Now you have the two rubs, heavy smoke, black label rub and mm-hmm. uh, heavy smoke, white label rub. So yep. I was going to ask you the difference between the two. And please don't be a wise guy and say the color. OK, yeah. <laughs> so I- I'll tell you how they got the name, too. So the the black label is designed for brisket. Right. And it's a little saltier it's 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 good on a lot of stuff anything you need like just a pop of flavor like at the restaurant we season our mac and cheese with it and we put on our wings and we season our chips with it and stuff like that so anything needs a pop you know put the black label on but you know i I struggled with finding a name because there's already so many names out there and i I just kept thinking black label beef black label beef is what i was thinking right and so my buddy cole that i in my first team the guy that got me into it, I was talking to him and I was like, man, I just can't get off the name black label, you know? And uh, he's like, well, what are you going to call the other one? I was like, well, I don't know, really. And he's like, well, what is it? I was like, it's kind of all purpose. He's like, what do you put it on? I go chicken, pork, you know, fish, um, you know, all that. And he goes, all the white meats. And I said, pretty much. And he's like, well, I think you got a white label. And I was like, dang, you're right. So <laughs> we went with the uh, black label and white label. So white label is kind of more all purpose. It's sweeter and it's got a little kick of heat to it. Um, they're actually really good together, you know? So if you want like a base layer of salt with the black label, like on ribs and a heavier label, the white label over top of it, uh, they're really, they're really good together, but I use them on all four meats and competitions. And, uh, I got to tell you, man, there's not much, there's not many better feeling than opening the seal to your own bottle and putting it on meat and getting trophies. You know, it's pretty cool. 
That is wild. That is pretty cool. Chris, I got one more for you. Well, who knows? I may have more than one. That's fine. Don't don't hold me to that. We're having a great time. So, you know, people should know (laughs) this is the craziest podcast. I mean, Chris froze a couple of times. The intro we've got to keep because it's great. But Jeff had Jeff's dog barked. Jeff ran to the door. Then my dog barked and I'm alone. (laughs) So that's why I had to run out. So I just pulled back the curtain. But Chris, you think we should should show him the video. (laughs) This is is one of the funniest ones we've ever done. And Chris, you have been unbelievable. So I'm so so glad you're the guest. But I got a question now. We'll go back to the podcast. So believe it or not, Jeff and I are about to celebrate four years, our four-year anniversary of doing this, this podcast. Now, you've been doing the podcast. Well, you haven't done one, and you said six months. And, of course, life gets in the way. But you realize how difficult it is. The Now, I would assume that with Competition Barbecue, your guests are your listeners. Yeah, I mean, mean, my guests are my listeners, but I think what makes it a really good show is that my guests are my friends. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you listen to the show, like how it kind of happened, I have a, my, my buddy, my co-host is Rob Honky. Uh, his team name is St. Louis Black Iron, and he already had a podcast. And his podcast is like, if you want to listen to a roller coaster of a podcast, his is called Stampeding of Cattle. And it will literally go from politics to movies, to sports, to drugs and back. And it's like, I mean, it is a roller coaster, man. They just talk about anything. So when COVID hit, we just got real bored and we had no competitions for a few months and he had all the equipment. And I was like, man, I said, I think there's a space out there for a barbecue podcast that sounds like guys sitting around in a competition because that's what we always did, man. We just sit around a fire, you know, once everything's prepped and everything on Friday night, we just sit around a fire and we all just BS and make fun of each other and tell stories. Right. And we were like, we want something that has that kind of feel. And with being in competition barbecue, as long as I have, it's easy to just to like text my buddies and be like, do you want to come on this thing? You know? So right off the bat, you know, we have like Brad Leininger and, you know, uh, Tim Shear and Darren Worth and Travis Clark and all these Joe Pierce, you know, these guys that we see every weekend and they come on, but you can tell by listening to the show that they're friends of ours and that we have a, a good rapport and we, we, like BS, you know, and it's, it's not so stuffy. I'll do a lot of research and have a lot of facts and I'll have an outline and then we don't talk about any of it, you know, those are, yeah, but those are the best ones where you go off script and, you know, there's just, you have the repartee between you and your guests. That's fantastic. Well, and so I that, think, I think a big miss and uh, obviously, you know, you guys know this while and you've got to figure it out. I think a big miss in a lot of the podcasts is that, you know, they don't, they don't go after, like these nuggets of gold that sometimes listeners give them, you know, and they're not listeners, guests. I remember we were talking to Bill Purvis with Chicken Fried Barbecue, and he just like offhanded comment mentioned big game hunting in Africa. And I was like, forget barbecue. We are now <laughs> talking about big game hunting in Africa, you know. Richard Fergola with Fergalicious, you know, he was a uh, like a national champion coach, uh, collegiate wrestler. And if you go listen to his podcast, we literally talk about wrestling and MMA for 23 minutes before we even mention barbecue, you know, and 
Um, I think I think that's that's what makes people want to listen is that it's it's not just hey tell me about your first comp it's right it's a, it's true talk you know. So yeah. then the question is, Chris, what did we miss with you? I don't know, man. I mean, um, <laughs> I think we got everything. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you know, there's there's I do all kinds of stuff, but I mean, barbecue is my life now. I mean, it's it's cool. You know, people say. People say like, oh, you're living the dream. And I'm like, man, I didn't know my dream included 16 hour work days for half the pay I used to make, you know, but it's a reality, man. I love it. I wouldn't change anything. You have, it's a family affair. Your wife's involved with the restaurant. Your daughter has a section on the menu. I see. She does, man. You know, I wanted to make it personal. I wanted to, you know, when people come in, I wanted to feel like a family, you know? So we named the kids menu Peyton picks after my daughter. And then if you notice there's a pops plate. So we got our, our big our big plate that feeds six to eight people. It's got a little bit of everything on there. And when I was trying to find a name for that thing, I decided why not name it after my dad. So I call my dad Pop. Everybody on the circuit calls him Pop or Pops, you know, and he's one of the most loved guys in barbecue. And and, and that's that's one of the, the true wins to me and, and what we've done is how much everybody loves my dad. That's fantastic. Before we wrap, we want to give you a chance to uh, give us your social media. And I got to tell you that, your heavy smoke barbecue restaurant now has now just got onto my bucket list. So whenever I get yes. to St. Louis, because uh, I got I got to catch a Cardinals game one of these days. I haven't been to St. Louis Bush Stadium yet, so I got to uh, go there and then go to your restaurant for dinner. But tell us you your uh, social media and how people can get in touch with you. Yeah, let me know when you come in, man. Well, I'll give you the VIP treatment. Maybe I'll go to that Cards game with you. You, know? you got it. But uh, yeah, on Facebook, it's Heavy Smoke uh, BBQ. Instagram's Heavy Smoke BBQ. The website's HeavySmokeBBQ.com. You know, that's really, that's really it. You know, the website's big. You you know, you can see the menu. You can see, you know, pictures of events. You can see competition accolades. You can order our rubs and do all that. So yeah. that's it. You know, we're, we're, I'm pretty big on Facebook. You know, I'm, I'm always posting specials and posting things like that. So we're a pretty good follow. Yeah, absolutely. Also on the website, uh, I just want to mention you have your class. So if anybody's interested... Go to the class tab there. You can sign up for uh, your next class, which I think you said what's Colorado. Yeah, that was in Colorado. Okay. Yeah. 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 Now wait. Yeah, let I, me go. I was going to say it, it, it kind of fell into my lap. A guy out there was wanting to kind of build barbecue in Colorado, and just sent me a message and asked if I would want to do it. He had a place to do it, and oddly enough, it was about thirty minutes from where my sister in law lives, so I can go drop my wife and daughter off with you know her sister and go do a class with my pops and pick them up and head back home. So it kind of worked. You know, I great. totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> I do I that a lot. A man. I, talk. I got it. Now I got it. I know Chris is a big Cardinals fan. He mentioned favorite Cardinal. Uh, Yadier Molina. He's going to Hall of I mean, Fame. He's just, I mean, he's just a beast behind the plate. Nobody tries to steal on Yadi, and he's been here doing it his entire career. You know, after that, you know, Pujols was the man. Love Chris Carpenter, love Adam Wainwright. You know, I'm I'm young enough that I'm not saying like Sam Usual and Lou Brock. You know, you get to watch those guys play, uh-huh. those guys play or anything. I know Ozzy Smith was fun when I was when I was pretty young. You know, he was out there doing his thing. But um, man, Molina's just uh, he's just a guy. Yeah, he is uh, amazing. He's been doing it for so long. Well, he's pushing forty now. He's been doing it, and he's still one of the best. Still one of the best. Still can throw guys out. Still can hit the ball. Uh, I'll never forget that home run he hit against the Mets in the playoffs. So, uh, you know, I got to live with that. And when yeah. throwing that curveball to uh, Carlos Beltran, I'll never forget Ooh. that. But, <laughs> but St. Louis, is, they, they're always in it, Len. They, they're always in it. Yeah, they're, always. They, they have great fantastic. fans great fans in St. Louis. 
And uh, I can't wait to get to one of these days. It's one of the uh, stadiums I got to get to. Hey, let me know when you guys come in, man. We'll have a good time. Great. Excellent. What I wanted to ask you was, you mentioned Pujols. Your opinion, your feeling by Pujols going to the, the Angels, did he tarnish his career with St. Louis fans? No, I mean, I think I think he was one of the best when he left us. And if he would have retired right then, he would have still been one of the best. And he's gone on to still do some pretty big things. And he wasn't, you know, he hasn't really been the St. Louis Pujols since he's left. But he's, he's still a hell of a ball player, man. And, you know, like I, I, I was one of those guys that didn't think we needed to pay for him, you know, and I was okay with him leaving. I thought that the, the price was too high. But I still like the guy, man. I mean, the things he did in St. Louis was was crazy. Yeah, absolute first bout walk in Hall of Famer. He was uh, one of the best, absolutely. Right, but yeah, he, hold on. Outside of St. Louis, the stadium, right? Okay, there's a statue of Stan Musial. Musial, right? Am I correct on that? Yep. Yep. Okay. If Pujols had stayed Cardinal, would he have a statue eventually? Man, probably. But he doesn't you know, now, right? He's he not won't. going to. You know, I don't think it made a lot of sense for him to stay without us having the DH position. You know what I mean? I think he got up in age, and I think, you know, I, th- I think he, I think he needed to go to a place where he could play DH. Some, you know, and um, I don't think it was ever a good fit for him to stay long term with us at the end of his career there, especially at that price tag. Well, Chris, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much for taking time out of your busy night. And I know you must be tired after working all day. So we appreciate you taking the time to come talk to us. Best of luck at the restaurant. And one of these days, uh, we'll get out to St. Louis. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Thanks, guys. Have a good night. And, Lynn, I I think once we get to St. Louis, we'll take Chris on his offer and we'll go to a a game and and hit the heavy smoke barbecue for for dinner one night. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Well, Jeff, of course, we're going to take a free meal. (laughs) <laughs> no, of course. <laughs> no, but we would love to hang out with Chris and maybe he'll let us cook with him. Yes. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> That'll be the night the Department of Health closes him down. Yeah. No, but what w- that was so much fun. Chris was such a good sport. Uh, you guys, again, that video, I mean, <laughs> Jeff's letting his dog out. I'm running to let my dog out. Chris is freezing, you know, his internet's freezing. I mean, it was just, and yet we did it. We got through it. Yeah, it, it is. This is the Christmas day episode. It's being released on Christmas day. So obviously everyone has done their shopping, but you know what? If you guys have gifts that you return or gift cards or who knows what that you, or you just, you forgot to get someone something or you, whatever it is, go to the pandemic baseball book club, books, uh, various swag. Fifthandcherry.com is also great uh, for your cutting boards. By the way, congratulations to Tim Razor and his wife and their family. They had a baby and uh, congratulations to them. And then of course, there is baseball, bbq.com, which is wonderful supporter of our show. Mike Mullen, Brett Mandel. We appreciate them immensely. Guys, check them all out. And Jeff, how do we end the show? We ended it today with Ace and Bobo, written by the musician, Dave Dresser, the poet, Shel Krakowski. We wish you all a very Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Happy Kwanzaa. Hanukkah's happened. 
And for all your Seinfeld fans, happy Festivus. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Thank you.